Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. majestic strains so begins another edition of filmically perfect on 91.3 wyso i'm nikki dakota your host joined in the studio today live and in person it is one of the film guys mr j todd anderson storyboard artist to all the big stars and friend to me and george j todd welcome I am your personal friend in the studio. <laughs> and to perfect movies. Indeed. And I'll tell you, uh, we are so pleased to be joined by video phone from Culpeper, Virginia, the new home of the film aspect and more of the Library of Congress. It is our nitrate film archivist, specialist, extraordinaire, and great friend, Mr. George Willeman. George, welcome. Hello, everyone. We are and he's not in a vault. My voice is being badly dubbed. <laughs> he's not in a vault. <laughs> Which brings us to, uh, to the movie at hand every Friday here at uh, right at around 1230. We come together and with the these two amazing film minds, put our thoughts on what are perfect movies. And indeed, we have arrived at one today. And gentlemen, I fully agree with you this time around. No questions asked. A movie that I had not seen. I'm pretty sure not even as a small child we gather today to celebrate once upon a time in the west oh man this is one of the greatest just one of the greatest pictures ever ever made and if there was ever a director who kind of built his career up to this film it is definitely sergio leone he as most of you people uh will remember that sergio hit the scene with clint eastwood and the some of the greatest Pictures with sound and music you ever, ever will ever remember. No, I would never have remembered that, but I'm through knowing you have come to know that Sergio, it's Sergio Leone, right? Right. Sergio, Sergio Leone uh, uh, sort of pioneered what we now call the Spaghetti, spaghetti Western. Spaghetti Western. And right. Spaghetti Western was called it because these were made in Italy, correct? Yes. Correct. And they so, were made to look like the United States in the old West days. How about that? So he cut his teeth uh, in Italy with Clint Eastwood, where Clint Eastwood got his start as well, right? I yeah, mean, those Clint were Eastwood his first was a, movies. It's a big television star here in the United States, and he did some movies. Um, this, uh, and when Sergio picked him up, he became this bad Western dude who was an anti-hero. Yeah, and, he was uh, the man with no name. Yeah. With that amazing, is it Ennio Morricone? How do you say yeah, that, Ennio George? Morricone. Ennio Morricone. Uh, the, the two, I mean, they were like one of those great teams. You, you often find that a really great director will will get a composer and just stick with it. For instance, like stick Spielberg and John Williams. Spielberg and John Williams, uh, Blake Edwards and Henry Mancini. You know, and, but gentlemen, before we go much further, it is very important to point out that these films are not just pulled from the sky, willy-nilly, nope. some capricious thoughts. There is a very, very stringent series of rules that they must meet in every way. And gentlemen, those rules are... Well, first... Once Upon a Time in the West creates the world it exists in. And if there was ever a movie that wholly sustains this world, it's this one. And regardless of changes in society, Once Upon a Time in the West retains its meaning and entertainment value. And it will never be counted numerically in any way, shape, or form. This is a masterpiece, folks. 
Absolutely no point in bringing up rule number five because I agree so much with this film. Um, I had never seen this film. You as don't far need no stinking rule number five. <laughs> Not for this picture. No stinking number. Not five. at all. Um, let's. Uh, first of all, actually, I think it's worthwhile. Although it is twisted and convoluted, the plot of this, I found myself being sort of at the edge of my chair again and again and again as the aspects of this plot unfolded. Well, two elements that. Mr. Leone masters in front of you, in front of your very eyes, is the art of the reveal, where he builds and builds and builds. And the other one is is how the characters are so well constructed through his use of cinematic prowess and music. Uh, this man had it in spades. There's nobody could really, to this day, his style is so solid. And he establishes these characters. So when you get to... The payoff, it's a, just a magnificent payoff in every scene as it builds throughout the movie. And so beautiful along the way. George, could you take us uh, a difficult task? It has to be a, a, little, a little sort of overview of the action in this film. Well, the basic story uh, surrounds a railroad being built through the desert. And uh, this one man who realizes that the railroad's going to have to come by this one plot of land that he's bought that everybody thinks he's crazy to have purchased. And this and is all supposed to be in the, United, in the United States, folks, although it's shot in Italy. This is supposed to be in the U.S. in the, in the previous Some of 1800s. it was actually yeah, shot some, in the I U.S., but not... exteriors were shot in Monument Valley. There's a couple of shots in there in Monument Valley, which will look very much like John Ford and the Searchers. But keep in <laughs> mind, folks, this is, this is when we're talking about it, when you see it, you'll know it's supposed to be U.S., but we're, we have to make sure you know, since it's Spaghetti Western, that it is supposed to be the United States of America. Right. But they, um, the, the man whose name is McBain gets gets gunned down and along with his whole family by a group of uh, marauders who come out of the desert. And and mixed in with that is Charles Bronson as this mysterious character they just refer to as Harmonica. Yeah, who, yeah. So, so, I mean, as far as the music goes in, in, in putting this, his presence is sort of completely equal with this Harmonica sound, mm-hmm. which is completely creepy. Very and, and, groaning, groaning yes. kind of sound. It's like, the, well, like a doppelganger groan, like <laughs> a death groan. Mm. Well, and often the film is refer, when it's referred to as somewhat operatic because every character has their own theme that continuously re, is reintroduced when they're seen. You know, uh, Claudia Carnell has her theme. Charles Bronson has his theme. Her theme is, uh, make me some coffee, get me some water, um, <laughs> yeah. make me a hot tub of water. Could I ask, go give those boys some water. She's right. always asked they, to they deal with you water. Behind, don't be upset. Yeah. Um. As he tears her clothes off, go give those boys some water. That's what those guys would like to see. So strange, yeah. But okay. um, I've forgotten where I was. Anyway, <laughs> uh, these characters, basically it turns out that, that yeah, the, the head of the railroad, who is this, this uh, man who's dying from tuberculosis of the, of the bones, has, has sent out Frank, who's played by, by Henry Fonda, to, uh, to gun down this family to get rid of them and then pass the blame on to Jason Robart's character. So uh, basically there's this continuous mixing of characters back and forth and characters that... that Yep. You know, characters will come together, and then he doesn't part. have a horse. He rides around in a train. Yeah, he has <laughs> strangest a train little thing. And but the train's always going one direction. It occurred to me, I have to say, that it's like, well, how does he always pointing in the direction he has to go? Because I mean, certainly you'd have to turn around at some point to come back and check on your progress. But anyway, <laughs> but that's the magic of this picture. He just gets well, on his you know, train and if goes you somewhere. The, the train always seems to be going west. Okay, he's sure. going toward the end of the railroad. Oh, remember, okay. Remember, he talks about the, the, the man with the railroad talks about his greatest desire is to see that 
Pacific Ocean before he died. And one beautiful scene where uh, where he just doesn't get shot, but we kind of like really pull for that guy to get his tongue and nose into that mud puddle of water. <laughs> you know? Yeah, at the very end when he's he's left lying by this mud puddle, and you hear the the ocean waves rushing up, and you know this is as close as he's going to get to the ocean is yeah. this filthy mud puddle. Which is what he richly deserves. So anyway, <laughs> back to the action. That, that uh, harmonica, Charles Bronson's character, is is looking for Frank, who is played by Henry Fonda. Which is and a role I was not expecting to see Henry Fonda in. What an evil, dastardly, bad yeah, man. George and I are especially fond of the scene where he shoots the kids. Fonda it, are you? Yes, we think now that, that and, that's a great scene. And if I might, might digress for a moment, when the film originally came out, uh, one reviewer, because Henry Fonda was such a beloved actor and is known for you know this very fatherly character, uh, this this uh, reviewer is somewhat tongue tongue firmly in cheek, you know, in referring to the scene at the beginning where he guns down this little boy, said that well the kid must have deserved it. <laughs> but the line in the movie is, "Are you going to kill him, Frank?" And he says. Well, now that you mentioned my name, <laughs> something yeah. to that oh, effect. Oh, just awful! And then you we, don't we really are very see fond of the scene because we think it's very cinematic. Not that we have anything against kids in westerns being shot or anything. We just think that Henry Fonda <laughs> is really a an excellent bad guy in this picture, where the good good Henry Fonda we all knew all of a sudden took some real breath in his character. And watch this guy walk in this movie. Henry Fonda is a bad guy. It's amazing. <laughs> Everything about it is breathtaking. The fact that Henry Fonda shot a child, obviously it's, it's Frank, not Henry Fonda, but that was just like a, a bucket of cold water in the face. And even the visual is so most of the time when exquisite. They, it's just stunning. Most of the time when they showed that movie on t- television, they cut it way before he even said the line, now let you mention my well, name. Well, I'll bet. Right. So the, for years, that movie was, was just slice or diced for Sunday television and everything. And, and now <laughs> you can get it in the Sergio cut, you know, the cut that he approved of now. And and it's so interesting in that, yeah, they, they would have had to have cut it down for television because it's a long movie. It Ooh, runs almost baby, three hours. 65 minutes, something like that. Yeah. Um, it is uh, amazing in every way. I just have to uh, reiterate that, that I had never seen it and was not at all prepared for what I saw and was completely drawn in. We're talking about Once, a time, Once Upon a Time in the West, a uh, film released in 1969, perfect in every way, and I fully go along with that. It certainly creates the world and sustains it. Um, how, how much of the plot twists, George, do we want to include in the, in, the, in the overview? Do we want to... Uh... Um, well, I don't want to give away the ending, yeah. so, but I mean, people should go out and see this because, uh, amazingly, unlike so many of these films, it is easily available. And yeah, it's for now, like six bucks. Uh, yeah, yeah, Paramount has put it out in, in a bargain price, and it's a two-disc set. It comes with the whole movie beautifully restored and, and a bunch of extras. The on only it. drawback is you can't see it on the big screen, and I have seen this movie on the big screen, and it is beautiful. I'm sure it's spectacular because it's very, just very wide gorgeous. screen. It's stunning just on my television, I'm When you hear you. the music and everything, uh, this is just great filmmaking right in front of your very eyes here. What, <laughs> what I do remember is many years ago um, – when they brought out Once Upon a Time in America, Sergio was being interviewed, and one of his quotes, which, have, which watch, is, it, watch it end up not being by him, but uh, <laughs> I do remember this thing stuck with me for years, is Sergio said that when Americans stop behaving like Americans, we will have to take America away from them. <laughs> well, that is just And uh, George, we have on our list many films about Americana by directors from other countries. Well, they're done much better than reviewed. American directors, you know. 
Yeah. Um, now, now, you said Once Upon a Time in America. Did you mean that, or do you mean the West? Because didn't he do a sequel? Well, we back when we were in college, Once Upon a Time in America came out. Yeah, and okay. Then, and then he was giving interviews, but... It's the same director, right? Yeah, the same director. Yeah, as many years last, later. Like, how many years later was it they brought out Once Upon a Time in America? It came out, I believe, in 84. So it was... I mean, he, he worked on so that We're talking film. 15 years, at least. Yeah, yeah, 84 yeah. it came out. And he worked on that for years and years and years. At least 10 another, years. Another... One that's on our list. It's an absolutely brilliant movie. Is it um, a sequel? No, no. It has a similar Female. title. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and but it is, again, title. it is it is epic in scope, and and he takes the whole the whole fragmentary fragmentary narrative one step further by having the story jump back and forth between time time periods. And with, more of that incredible Morcone music. Yeah, Morcone. Uh, which whom I had the privilege of working with on a movie. Uh, uh, does he glow on auto does he glow i just have to imagine he has an aura i mean what an amazing musical mind guys you just can't uh, the presence of his music and makes these movies like so many of the movies on our list the music just drives this picture and a lot of the cinematic cutting in this picture is done with real simple cuts like the movement of an eye he the person will look to their right sergio will cut to all of a sudden you're seeing that he sees all over town uh, where he, where the Frank guy is, is being killed by his own men, and Charles Bronson's looking out the window. Well, you, after a, a few seconds, you start realizing that he sees everywhere. <laughs> he doesn't doesn't see out of that window, and he and Sergio does these with real simple cuts with a, a simple eye movement to the right. It's amazing. Well, and often, uh, such as with Charles Bronson's character, he often will have he'll start with a completely empty frame, and and Bronson's character will step in. Yeah, just he'll just just come out of nowhere and just step in. Almost, he actually almost glides in. And you know that music. Like you know he's coming spirit. because the music kind of swells, and there he comes into big, big profile. I have to say that just from the 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 whole opening with the there's just no speech for like the first. I don't know. It seems like maybe even I ten minutes. minutes. It's about twelve minutes. I oh. remember counting it one time. And no one huge, says a word. Huge hunks of just visual action in this movie. In the audio and the way that the the sound of the the squeaking uh, windmill at this basically abandoned train station and this poor old guy who's trying to sell and or take tickets, you know there's trouble. You can just and there's there's people in this movie just marked to just get the snot kicked out of them yeah. all the time. <laughs> the round faced guys, about yeah. he just he just gets. Just gets a snot beat out of him every single frame. Who does look like well, a cross between Jack Black and uh, Stephen and King, King, but anyway. Well, it's also interesting that, you know, and, and Leone, only Leone would do something like this, but, you know, in the opening sequence, the, the, the guys who come to meet Charles Bronson, one of them is Jack Elam, who was this really popular American really Western actor American with, Western the, Western with the bad eye. The guy with the wanky eye who... And then, and then Woody Strode... Who was who just recently? Popular, I think he uh, died a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah, and so he's got these two, and they both get credit as guest stars. They're in this opening, and and they both get gunned down. They yeah. both get killed at the well, end. Well, that of the was opening. nice of him to do that. What a gracious thing to give him guest starring uh, for just the opening. This movie also has one of the most gorgeous flashbacks of any movie where, and it takes forever. Where Henry Fonda is walking in out of the desert. Uh, we're the ending. You know, we're almost pulling that spoiler alert chain here, Uh-oh. folks. Uh-oh. Uh, the big harmonica sequence at the yeah. end. Um, but he comes in, he, he comes into focus, and it's just great. It's just gorgeous, and it's Henry Fonda. And you think he's smiling, but you look at it, and he's not really smiling. You know, it's, it's a very odd piece of cinematography. A, yeah, he gives a very tiny smile right at the end of it, at the end of that sequence. He does that a couple times, like in the, 
the opening where he where he kills the little kid. <laughs> at the you know you see the close ups of the faces, the yeah. famous Leone close ups, and and right at the end there's just this very hint of a smile just before he pulls the trigger. It's <laughs> so, so subtle and so masterful. Those close ups, those close ups even get closer because some of his mark. On the screen is just a band of eyes. Right, just the eyes. Sergio's, you know. I have to mention mark. something about the eyes, by the way. Um, Henry Fonda, who has, you know, notably blue eyes in this, I have to imagine this was before the days that people wore false contact, contact lenses. And most of the the guys His in this movie have very nice. Stunningly blue. But the woman's eyes are very dark. They very are black. Yeah. Yeah, her eyes are dark, and, and of course, no. uh, Jason Robards, I think, has brown eyes also. But Bronson also has blue eyes. Yeah. What's interesting is that the characters that kind of pair up have the same colored eyes. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but you can make an argument for it, I'm sure. So when – go ahead. I was going to ask a question, but you go ahead, and then I have a, a history question. Uh, we're going to – one of the things we want to mention in this movie, they call them spaghetti westerns, and part of that comes from the Italian cinema roots that uh, Mystery Leone has. And one of the things they used to do, which is very, very interesting and really makes sense, is that although they cast the actor for their physical presence, they didn't necessarily think their voice went with that physical presence. Now, it's hard to, to detect this in this movie because these are all big-name actors, and only the character actors have had their probably their voices replaced because they're all the, the same voices. But it very much rings of an Italian kind of sound where they do all the sound later in the studio, very much like a cartoon, mm -hmm. uh, because the sound is so clear. You'll notice all the gunshots are all exactly alike, and that's very Sergio, man. The slaps, um, the horses, the the noise. The, uh, this is all not to interfere with the score a lot of times. And Italian cinema was very big on having different voices. You, you see a lot of Italian movies where the guy talks like this. Uh, and, and this movie, they, it's not quite that way. And, you know, a little bit in the old Clint Eastwood movies, but of course they had to use Clint's voice because he was a star. So when you talk about Italian cinema, a little bit of that is imminent in this picture because the sound is so incredibly even all the way through the movie. That's no accident in this picture. Well, and what's so fascinating is that one of the first times I actually saw an Italian film in Italian, I was like, oh, now we'll get to see what it really sounds like. But they sound exactly the same. <laughs> Everybody is post-dubbed <laughs> in their own language, and and it's it's actually, I mean, to the American ear because we we've got you know this sort of you know really slick sound production over here, seamless sound production. It, it's somewhat jarring to us, I think, to to listen to the the Italian films. But it, it became it was a very popular way of doing it. It was sort of the standard way of doing it. And in some and in one aspect, I understand there was a law passed by Mussolini's government. That when he was like really trying to, you know, the, the Roma-sizing Roma of, of Italy back when he was uh, the ruler, that all films shown in Italy had to be dubbed into Italian. They could not have subtitles. And I believe this that is obviously is before the end of World War II. Yeah. Well, that rule is still in force to this day. Oh, really? That never From what fell. I understand, yes. Um, by the way, when did Sergio Leone make his first movie in Italy? Do you know that? I mean, is there? Did he? Was he? How did he come into being, and how did he make this transition into American film? His first, well, his first, um, his first big film, his first break in film, actually was uh, Fistful of Dollars, which is the Clint Eastwood picture, which is the, the first one he did with Clint Eastwood, and it is actually a variation on, um, oh drat, what is it? It's, I believe it's Senjuro. the um, the Japanese movie. Oh, for heaven's sake! Shiro Mufuni. Huh. I'm pretty sure. Hang on, let me check 
Well, the, the, the one that I see... Excuse me, Yojimbo. Yeah, Yojimbo. It is a remake of, of the story Yojimbo, of the, the sort of the lone uh, gunman who comes into town and pits these two families against each other. You don't happen to know, and forgive me for putting your brain to test, the year that that came out then? 1964. So 64, so not that much before he came into this full-fledged magnificence with Once Upon a Time in the West. Right, and it just kind of builds from there. I mean, he does, he does fistful of dollars, then he does for a few dollars more, <laughs> and then he does the the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is, is every really bit as great. great as this movie. All these are fantastic. And, which... and all the way, you just see if you watch all four of them, if you have a couple of days, <laughs> yeah, you'll absolutely, see, yeah, you'll I'm see him them, building to Once Upon a Time in the West. You know, he begins. To, it's like it's like making a really fine soup. He just keeps boiling it down and boiling it down and boiling it down until you have this pure essence. Well, when this of, when these uh, movies came to the mm. states. The United, they had never seen anything like this tone. I mean, mm-hmm. this was completely different from all the Westerns you've been used to seeing, some of the ones we reviewed, like The Searchers. And this was a whole different take, undeniably, American Western, though. But yeah. it was whole, it was just so different. The, the anti-hero, the Clint Eastwood characters, the villains who, who had a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I have to say that I had no taste for Westerns before I met the film guys, and that's uh, because for some reason I think I must have seen bad Westerns. you got to watch the good Westerns. you got to stick with us, Nikki Dakota. Well, I'm so grateful we'll show you for around. being uh, shown well, that way. We're talking about Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, 1969 Sergio Leone film with the amazing soundtrack from, uh, say his name again, George, I always say it wrong. Ennio Morricone. Morricone. Ennio Morricone, which of course... He's still great, man. He's still around. He's he may, stuff. He may be, uh, live forever. He may be immortal for the good, the bad, and the ugly alone, but also uh, certainly worthwhile in this film as well. Something that I wanted to ask was, um, when I was a youngin', I was a huge fan of the television series Wild Wild West. Oh, yeah. And it always, I always thought to myself, well, what's up with the train? These They travel in this magnificently appointed train with every little bell and whistle and everything you'd ever need. And then when I saw this movie, it's like the guy, the guy who travels on the train. They must have taken this as a... As well, a... They did. I mean, I think that was, you know, I mean, the Vanderbilts and the other people who, who built their railroads, they would have definitely, because that was their thing, and that was the fastest way to get from one place to another in the, in the 1800s. And if you could have your own railroad built right in front of your train as it's moving, you how might as well you build wrong? a little rolling hotel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some of my favorite lines in this movie are, people scare better when they're dying. Yeah. (laughs) And when he talks about Claudia Cardinale, is that how you say it, George? Claudia Claudia Cardinale, yeah. Yeah. You know, Jilly, you remind me of of your mother. Uh, Excuse me. You know, Jilly, you remind me of my mother, the biggest whore in Alameda. Finest woman that ever lived. My father must have been an awful happy man for a week or the hour that he knew you something to that effect <laughs> fantastic well, my, my favorite one and the one I think kind of sums up the whole movie for me is is Frank telling the one of his henchmen how can you trust a man who wears both a belt and suspenders the man can't even trust his own pants <laughs> and then when he shoots him he shoots both of his suspenders shoots off his suspenders one off and then and the then other shoots him in the belt buckle I'm telling you yeah what. and the guy and Jason that Robards under the train mark. saying don't make any noise <laughs> And he does, unfortunately, and gets his suspenders and belt shot off. So as far as the rules go, I I, uh, I think 
creates the world from the opening moment and that 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 uh, complete visual just uh, assault that sucks you right in with uh, virtually no sound or certainly no not dialogue um, it certainly creates it and absolutely sustains it as far as uh, having lasting uh, entertainment value despite changes I'll, I'll give you that as well and again I have you two to thank for tuning me on this uh, has got to be the, westerns it also has one of the best okay corral finishes of any western ever made uh, the way they of course the way he builds and reveals, builds and reveals. Very cinematic gentleman here. Which again is very much like uh, like the ending of um, of the Good and the Bad and the Ugly, where the, the three characters sort of have a three way showdown, and it just it just he stretches it out to the nth degree. But you enjoy every second of it. Yeah, because it, you don't complain because, that it's taking too long. Because he builds it, he knows he's such a master at building the scene to to this just unbearable. You just keep level. saying under your breath, you are. A Rotten guy, you are just rotten. How could you be any more rotten? Uh, he's even oh, more there, rotten. there you go with your oh, rottener. Yeah, you're, just, you're more rotten. <laughs> now, one thing that's interesting about this film is that is that Leone had two other notable Italian directors working with him writing the story for this. One of them was Bernardo Bertolucci, yes, who did uh, um, 1900. He gets and, full credit uh, on this picture. 19, what, 1900 and uh, Last Tango in Paris, and, and it's still working to this day, and also uh, Dario Argento, the Italian horror film director. The two of them collaborated on the Oh, story. well, that makes some sense, doesn't it? There's a lot of a lot of resemblance now to what's going on in the United States right now with, with people coming from Mexico that are making films down there in Mexico, and they're coming up here, uh, and they're kind of taking the world by storm with their style. Well, very much back in the late 60s, the Italians kind of took the United States by storm with some of their... Very stylish film. And what's yeah, going between, on with Italian cinema these days? You don't hear much. There's Bollywood. No, very, there's very, well, I mean, there was uh, Roberto Benini for a little bit, but, I but think he was that, an actor, right? That Pinocchio. Well, he directed some of those films. Okay, too. I think his Pinocchio film kind of finished him off for a while. <laughs> um, but yeah, you had. I mean, at this time, you had you know you had Bertolucci and Visconti and um, and Fellini, of course. Fellini doing all of his amazing little little tricks. But that's even still been a long time ago. Yes, it has. They were they were strong in the fifties, and then uh, they just came roaring back in the late sixties on Sergio. Sergio, I think, was probably the leader in this whole element of style in Italian cinema. That was because they were taking American themes, much like we are doing now with Japanese movies and remaking them for the for Americans. He was taking American themes, and all these themes are in this movie. You see them in all the westerns uh he just kind of puts them together a little differently uh, it's, it's like, hard to believe that he's not a cowboy i mean given the you know the, the 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 finished product of this movie it's hard to believe that he is not an american born and bred uh uh well, cowpoke, am- amazing that that people from and this is probably true of us too but in some ways that people from outside the society can probably see clearer because they're outside so so leone could take the elements of the american western and and sort of as I said before, distill them into this this you know point them out for us, gentlemen. We have spent another amazing half hour talking about truly an amazing film. Once Italian upon a time cinema, in Italian the West, records. just lovely. And the first movie when the monkey died, nobody cried. <laughs> but in my movie when the monkey died, everybody cried. No, that's not Sergio, but I just had to say that because we just we, we just love Dino De Laurentiis. We we're not leaving you out, buddy. <laughs> that's right, gentlemen. As always, what a pleasure, particularly George Williamson. Thank you for joining us by video phone today. Thanks for being here, George. My pleasure. And the one and only J. Todd Anderson live in the studio. J. Todd, thank you. If you would like to drop the film guys a line on me as well, please do that at Film Guys. 
at perfectmovie.net. That's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. Stop by that website just to do it. Stop by, catch us on iTunes at wyso.org at npr.org. Folks, there is no reason why you are not up to snuff on the perfect movies That's because... Right. You listen to the film, guys. That's right. If you're streaming, let us know. Uh, we're getting a lot of you folks all over the United States. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.